Welcome to Redesigning High School, our uh, podcast for parents and anyone else who might be interested in how we might remake school for the benefit of students. My name is Terry DeBeau. I'm an English teacher here at Hawken and the director of special projects. And I'm Julia Griffin. I'm the director of the Mastery School. Julia, we have a very special episode. We get to dig into math. I am so excited for this one. I have to say this conversation um, had me thinking about math in the way that I usually think about humanities. I know. I had the you same know? thing. And uh, I, you know, I'm sort of a confessed, you know, math, whatever. I'm not going to finish that sentence. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it is like a source of like, you know, I, I mean, I'm competent. I can work through the world. I'm really good at Excel spreadsheets. Ooh, <laughs> um, that's kinda, good. That's I, real. I'm marginally good. At it. Anyway, I think I'm good. <laughs> Point is this. Um, it, it actually made this me have this feeling of like, of a, I dare I say, like a sadness. Like this, this has been, I didn't get this. This is yeah. not something my education provides for me. And, you know, and I have, Same. I take responsibility to like, I did not engage, right? Um, it, but partially because it felt so obscure and complicated to me. Um, and to hear yeah. Chris and Zach talk about it, as, as our listeners will, hopefully you'll be inspired by it. And also it's very practical. They are figuring out ways with you know other very smart people to to teach mathematics in a way that can help kids who you know are more like me and struggle with it or like don't understand it's 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 the concepts and its value and what it means and also kids who are very accelerated um so it's it's actually really exciting and they're really inspirational guys so i think the audience is going to like it me too especially people who are you know who are really curious about this question of what math teaching is going to look like and doesn't doesn't it have to look the way that it does in a traditional high school right Right. I think the conversation is good. It's chunky. It's worth staying with because it gets. Yes. Yeah. Alert yeah. to the audience. It's a little longer, but yeah. uh, we'll, we'll try and keep the intro short so people can get home and make good call. or whatever it is. All right. So let's get to the best and the worst. Uh, have you had a week? Anything going on that we should yeah. know about? Yeah. It's been a good week. You know, I think uh, lots of highlights, but um, some of the highlights for me this week were actually moments really out of the building. Um, so I had a, I've had a couple conversations in the last week with community partners as we do more and more um, work to build the relationships and start to um, envision and plan for what some of the partnerships can look like a year from now when we're down on Magnolia Drive full time. Yeah. And just that 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 block and that neighborhood, there are such fantastic people doing all kinds of of really important work that aligns so beautifully with what we're doing. So, yeah. you know, we had a great conversation at, with some folks at the Center for Arts Inspired Learning. You and I and Ambrose had a great conversation with a member of our community advisory board, Daniel Gray Contar, whom we're going to talk to pretty soon on yeah, the podcast. On the, pod, the guy's amazing. It's yeah, really, it's really fantastic. It's great. So it just has me really literary excited. Arts as an organization exactly some amazing stuff. So yeah. yeah, so I'm just excited about about envisioning new possibilities and ways that we can work yeah. together. No, I mean, and uh, the the Opportunities for kids at the master school are going to be pretty amazing because that area has so many, yeah. you know, so many resources and so many problems, right? And so many areas that are complicated and, and meaty that kids are going to get engaged in and, and people who are already there working, doing really amazing things. So That's right. To come in to that organization as an, or to that community as a neighbor, as someone who wants to understand and learn and contribute where can, you know, learn where you can, you know, I think it's going to be a really amazing opportunity. Agreed. So, um, well, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. What about you? I am going to go back to basics here. I had a, like one of those conversations with a student that, uh, you know, afterwards you think like, this is a pretty good gig. Uh, mm-hmm. he, um, on his own without grades, this was not like a complaint about a grade or anything like that he, uh, I had given him a, a comment on some homework about analysis 
and he uh, and he set up a meeting with me. He's like, I hear this all. I've heard this many years. I don't really know. Like, what does it mean? Like, oh, uh, yeah. like how do I do it better? Because I, I, use, I use this video tool where instead of writing comments, I recorded a little video for him, yeah. which I know is weird, but whatever. No, it's great. Because I, I go deeper. And I sort of took what he did, and I read it back to him. And then I did like a little riff about what I would have done, right? And like, just not to, but to show like, here's a little move you can make that yeah. moves us from summary to analysis, right? Right. That extends the meaning of the implications here. And it sort of extrapolates it from there and, and see what that is. And like, that's a little joyful moment where you take a specific <laughs> and you make a larger point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, that triggered something in him where he wanted to figure out how to do it. So we had a nice meeting and I talked about a couple of very, um, not, simple but but uh, essential techniques you can use to do that to make that move um and he was like so open to it and grateful and after he left i'm like that was that was really nice (laughs) that's awesome well you know what that that moment that you're describing what it makes me think about in my own life was uh i'm i'm a deeply uncoordinated person you know this about me and people who know me in real life can attest to this uh i have a, I have a broken toe right now as a result of that but uh when i was growing up my parents work at sleepaway summer camps and so i would be at summer camp and i would have to go to tennis classes like group tennis classes i am terry i am the least coordinated person with a tennis racket you've ever met and i spent years in you know in a group with four or five other kids going, you know, where you'd come up and you'd hit the ball, just missing. Like yeah. I would swing and I would miss. And for years, the tennis instructors who were college kids, you know, hired to teach at the camp and they'd say like, try to hit the ball. <laughs> and I would be like, what do you think I'm doing over here? And then I remember having this one tennis tennis counselor who really was able to do what you just did for that student, which was to say, turn your wrist a little this way. Right. And it was, okay, now bring your arm, don't bring your arm back so far. It was actually showing me the technique instead of talking about the outcome. Right. And it made all All the the difference. difference. And I liked tennis. Right. Anyway, I mean, it didn't stick like I'm not actually a tennis player, but that moment, yeah. it can be so cool for a kid who wants to do it. They just don't know how. And and I realize it's happened to me, you know, in, you know, my writing, you know, I, yeah, people, all kinds of feedback. And then like an, as like a, a very accomplished, successful writer was like, here, so this thing you're doing here, if you turn it this way, look what happens. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's not a theory, right? right? <laughs> that's a skill. Yeah. And uh, I exactly. just learned, now I know how to do it. So, uh, yeah, no, it was really, it was, it was a sweet moment. And, uh, it does speak to the point that these kids, many of them, they, they want to learn. Yeah, of course they do. Right. Right. Uh, They want to do well. They they want to learn. They they want to get better. And, uh, and, uh, again, it was not because he got a eight out of 10 instead of a nine out of 10. So uh, it was a nice moment. So, well, let's get to it. We have some, uh, fantastic guests here, Zach and Chris, um, who are reimagining and redesigning mathematics here at Hawken and have some ideas of how we might do it at the mastery school. So, uh, let's hear from them. Great. So welcome to the podcast, Zach and Chris. We're thrilled that you're here. Um, will you each go ahead and take a minute to introduce yourself and tell tell us what you do here at Hawken? Sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'll go first. Um, my name is Zach Kordaleski, uh, teaching math, physics, and probably whatever else we we need at this point. Um, <laughs> Good answer. I'm in the process of working with uh, the PhD team. Uh, we're, uh, you know, piloting some more stuff for the mastery school. Um, and I also partner with Chris uh, on quantitative reasoning, which is this brand new math course that we kind of just invented. I don't want to get too much into that yet. Maybe we can, we'll get, if you want. Just, just oh, to be we clear, will. we are not 
graduating PhDs. From oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We no. should be clear about that. Yeah. So PhD is physics, humanities, and design. It's yeah. an integrated class. Like working title. Yeah. Working title. And also, perhaps later, it'll be the predecessor to actually giving doctorate degrees. Yes. Yeah. Get your yeah. PhD Get in your just PhD one semester. Just it was a long-term goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like stretch yeah. goal. Okay. You got to yeah. shoot. All right. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, I'm Chris Harrow. I'm a Hawkins preschool through 12 math chair. So pretty much wherever math happens before college, I get to play with kids doing that. Um, I've taught uh, middle school and upper school, but really I, I work with anything, anywhere that it happens. And my deep interest and, you know, kudos to Hawkins for like being brave enough to bring me in for this is just looking for ways to do math better to make it accessible to everybody and anybody can actually accomplish this. And yeah, you may take different pathways. You may take different amounts of time to get there, but everybody can accomplish this. And, and Dr. Harrell's looking at me because my daughter uh, <laughs> uh, sees him as absolutely the most effective and most uh, um a meaningful math teacher she's ever had. And uh, she had a lot of math blocks before that. And now she's on her way and honors Algebra 2, which is, I think, where I capped out when I graduated high school. And she's a, <laughs> she's a sophomore. so And I didn't get into the honors program. Anyway, not about me. <laughs> Let's talk about math. Yes. Well, and I just wanted to add to build on what Chris said, um, and because it's fun to watch Chris blush, that I, just talking about what uh, Hawken taking a chance on, you know, and, on taking math in a new direction with Chris, my recollection when we were looking for the right person to be the math department chair was that it took two, almost three years to find the right person nationally <laughs> and that Chris was very much worth the wait. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been awesome to get to collaborate over the last several years. Um, so uh, I don't know if um, I don't know if any if, if you've ever noticed this, but um, the when people think about the disciplines that are traditionally in a high school curriculum, the one that they tend to see as the least flexible and the most calcified is math, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody's I, ever, I feel like ever said that to you. Yeah, or, I think I've heard that maybe yeah. from, you know, 16 people every year for the right. past, like, many years. Right. So, um, so uh, the fact that we, uh, the way that we teach Hawken, the, the way that we teach math at Hawken is different um, from a lot of schools is pretty, pretty notable and pretty awesome, actually. Um, and in particular, the, the quantitative reasoning class that you referenced a minute ago, Zach, is a new math class at Hawken, and that's actually kind of amazing. Um, I think most people tend to think of the math sequence as what Joe Bowler calls the geometry sandwich, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not a good sandwich either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a like the, the sandwich where you didn't have any stuff left in your fridge, and you just had to like make do because yeah. you were going to be hungry that day. Yeah. So it's, you know, algebra one, geometry, algebra two, right? Yeah. And then there's Joe's geometry sandwich. So, right. um, so tell us a little more about this quantitative reasoning class that you created and why you wanted to create it. Yeah. Um, it started out a few years ago. Um, it really sort of all goes back to this pressure for, um, trying to get kids into college. And it's really kind of sad when Is there like, a pressure there. Um, Chris? God, yes. Loads. <laughs> um, and it's, it's becoming more intense and, what we noticed was um, instead of just learning how to do mathematics and understand the mathematics, there was this pressure to get to courses earlier so that I could have like this really pretty shiny sticker mm -hmm. on my transcript when I was sending it in. Right. And ultimately it was like going for the name and the shiny sticker, not the depth of the understanding underneath. And 
you really to apply to even the most selective colleges, all you need is to get to a statistics or a calculus class, which means you don't even need to be accelerated beyond an algebra one or a geometry class in eighth and ninth grade. And what we what we're increasingly getting were younger and younger students trying to take. Um, it started out for us in an accelerated pre-calculus class. And once we've realize that like these kids can do really quick arithmetic manipulations, but they actually didn't understand what it was that they were doing. So like minor little switches on the problem or an application and they had no clue. This reminds me like when I, when I first got here, one of the first classes I taught was uh, honors pre-calc AB. Um, And then the next year I taught BC and teaching both of those. What I realized very quickly is I had like sophomores and I I think at one point a freshman um, in in both of those classes, which are typically taken by, you know, juniors, sometimes seniors. Right. And when when you're working on a lot of just the fundamentals that show up in that class and you're working on the skills that you need to develop, uh, they all were very interested in uh, attaining this very particular set of content knowledge but when you when you ask them to dig a little bit deeper you started to unearth these things that were merely the result of uh, these misconceptions that were merely the result of just rushing through memorizing tons of math right yeah like so fast right so like i would often as you guys are probably rolling your eyes right now i distinguish between arithmetic and mathematics all yeah, the time big and arithmetic is just like can you can you manipulate symbols or like often I'll just say like, can you, can you, can you bully symbols on a piece of paper? Um, <laughs> it is bullying. It is bullying, yeah. but you don't actually get any depth or understanding and you can't actually use what you've learned. And it's probably falling out your ears five minutes after you just took the test. Yeah. Um, so the irony here was the students who are most capable of doing really brilliant mathematics, insightful connections we're just memorizing and racing to try to see who's going to pass the finish line first with a bunch of arithmetic trickery. And it was sad for us because like these students who really could do compelling work weren't given that opportunity and they were becoming sort of, some of the teachers were getting frustrated. Some of the students were getting frustrated uh, when they were taking these things younger. And so we recognize we've got this year. The kids are excelled. A lot of really phenomenal kids are accelerated a year. Why not? Just create a year where you can just learn how to become a mathematician. Yeah, I, I think that's like at the heart of it, right? right. Is when mo- traditional math courses feel to me about what some mathematicians know. Right. Right. And quantitative reasoning for me became about what mathematicians do. Right. And uh, it, it, when when we started like taking that approach to it and thinking about how mathematicians actually engage with mathematics, right. God, it's just it's so it's so beautiful. Right. Like it's fun. A math class shouldn't necessarily be about us sitting there and saying, here are all of the situations wherein you're going to use mathematics. I would love if math classes were instead, let's look at any situation. What situation are you in right now? Can you give me a situation that you're in, a problem that you're trying to solve? And let's try and figure out how we can use mathematics to make your life a little bit easier or to make this problem a little bit simpler or to try and address a concern that you have in your life right now. And that for me is where math becomes really powerful because it's not about finding situations where there isn't math. It's about finding what math is in the situation because there's always math <laughs> that you can use in any situation. Um, ultimately, this was about allowing 
curiosity yep. and strong mathematics driving the particular content that you're studying instead of having this vision of I need to get kids to do incredibly well on a particular standardized test. And so let's just memorize that. But like when you look at these major tests, whenever some small alteration happens yep. in the test from one year to the next, national scores have a dip. Because they don't actually know, know how to... They don't, they don't know actually the mathematics. They, understand memorize that. Their, yeah. they memorize yeah. fast ways to get answers. And so the difference that's happening here is when you understand what's actually happening, when there's minor variations in an SAT or an AP test, if you understand national scores will dip because it's no longer what we thought it was going to be and tried to memorize our way into, our scores take a jump up because they're like, eh, whatever. Like Hera's just done another twist on us. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, you know, it's fun to hear you guys talk about it because this is kind of the way English teachers can talk about writing and literature mm -hmm. and reimagining courses because you're really not as interested in whether they you know, fully comprehend a particular novel you want to see and help them understand the act of unpacking it and the joy of, of the trick of finding mm -hmm. meaning in something. 100%. So it seems like it's a lot of the same skills. Agreed. And I have to say, too, just personally, I think listening to you, it resonates a lot with my own experience of being a math student in high school. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I was on that race to calculus track in my own particular high school. And I think I kind of knew it and it freaked me out. And I didn't want to take math again when right. I got to college because I knew that I had the procedural knowledge and that I didn't. I felt like a fraud, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so I think that that conceptual understanding like, what just wasn't what what I had cultivated. And, and just to balance that out, I was on the other side of that, <laughs> that where I, <laughs> I didn't understand it. It seemed meaningless, and none of it made sense to me. So I just got out of Dodge as soon as I could. And now here I am. And I not only did I do I not know how to do this stuff, I kind of now wish I had some understanding of it. It seems mm -hmm. really helpful to be able to understand, yeah. use mathematics Agreed. and arithmetic to yeah. understand the universe. And that's that's gone for me. I, I don't have any of that. Well, that's like when, you, when you're rushing for the goal the entire time and you finally get to the goal, you're sort of like, what, what happens now? Right. Like right. I, even, even like I, I had a freshman during one of the, the uh, events that we had, the parent events welcoming the new students come in. And one of the first questions is like, exactly how do I get to calculus? And I was like, um, can we, can we talk? Just let's, let's pause. Let's just talk for a few minutes about what that actually means. And you know, why are you trying to get there? What is your, what is your goal? A lot of, a lot of people like look at calculus or, you know, differential equations or multivariable calculus. Like how do I get to those as fast as possible is how I become a good mathematician. And right. the, those, those two are actually just so far apart from right, each right. other that uh, it takes a, God, it's, it's, well, so strange. It plays into the whole like speed versus understanding piece that like we've been talking about for so long around yeah. here. Yes. Um, when you want, and rightfully so, when you want someone to be really good in an area, you look to other people who are already really good at that. And what do you see? Mm -hmm. mm. A lot of the problem with mathematics is so much of it is internal and in conversation and in process. But what you can see what you can, if you have to do a standardized test and I have to get you to answer 30 questions in the next 25 minutes, it has to be short little niblets of like just quick testable things. Yeah. But what you don't notice in, when you have a conversation with people who are doing real research mathematics, it's a slow, painful process, lots of errors, lots of learning. But what you get 
is ultimately when you watch them do the things that are easy to observe and test and like, can they do some quick operations? You can see that happening and you see them operating really quickly, but they never actually tried to be fast. Oh yeah. You, when you understand something really well, you become efficient, you gain insight and you become fast, not because you happen to try to do that. It's an accident. It's almost yeah, it accidental. Is. It <laughs> is. But, I mean, look at somebody, imagine someone who wanted to just be really good at running the mile. And all they did from childhood was every time they went out to the track, just got out on the track and ran as fast as they could every single time. <laughs> so that was their only practice. They will never break any kind of records. They will never be anything kind of successful because they didn't actually yeah. get into the training of how your body actually works and thinks. Mathematics learning is the same thing. If you go for speed... It's the wrong mindset. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. Well, what I was going to ask was, um, I wonder if there's a way to ground or show some of these concepts as we keep talking through the lens of this course. Yeah, of and course. maybe that's where you were going to go. But, you know. I was going to give an anecdote about Richard Feynman. So it's good that you stepped in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking also like maybe a specific project. In exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the last year was the very first year that you taught this QR mm-hmm. class. We're rolling into year two now. Is there is there a project? Is there something that um, you could point to that students yeah. worked on that illustrates this? Yeah, I think, uh, and uh, Chris will have a lot to say about this too. We uh, we worked on this a lot together last year. The we did a data visualization project last year with the kids in QR, um, and the whole idea was that a lot of times when you're reading a paper or reading an article or you know wherever it is that you're getting your news. Um, Sometimes you'll see a little informational graphic, right? It'll have some data organized like in a table or in a graph or, you know, in a chart. And and the idea is, hey, look at this chart. It conveys to you information that I'm also trying to tell you with these words. And when you see the chart, you understand the thing I'm trying to tell you better because there's a chart here, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of like the philosophy mm-hmm. of data visualization. Yeah. One of the challenges we pose to the uh, the kids is let's come up with research questions and then see if we can develop a data visualization that makes the conclusion that you arrive at from your research question accessible to an audience, any right. audience. Yeah. And it's almost like, um, you know, we, we talked about a lot about mathematics as a language and trying to convey a story. The data points are all of these little factoids that you've got. And you've got, if you understand the language of mathematics really well and you're trying to communicate to a broader audience, you're trying to find a really compelling way to share the story that these numbers or these facts are desperately trying to tell to an audience that doesn't speak the same language. Right. So how do you how do you convey that? And sort of that's the magic of data visualization. And all of this, I'm just interjecting and then yep. keep going, but it strikes me as I'm listening to you talk about this project that some really good data visualization examples that students come up with would be an awesome piece of evidence for a mastery credit around communication. Oh, Brilliant. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're building you're building a, a type of narrative, right? Yeah. And it's it, I, I guess we normally don't think about communication in this way. When people say communication, you're thinking, oh, verbal communication, right? Oh, you or reduce written. it to, oh, that, that's the essay. Exactly. Right. right, right, right. But communication actually comes in any form wherein you need to convey an idea to a different human being right. and you accomplish that in some way. That's communication. And math, you know, there's a ton of focus on just getting your idea across. Because right. in, in mathematics, if you can't convince the rest of the mathematical community that your idea is actually a good one or valid, then your idea is not a good one or valid. <laughs> right. That's part of that's part of it. Um, right. 
the, this reminds me, like the the motivation for the this data visualization. One of the things we we showed and talked about was, um, I mean, this this is very serious. Like sometimes, like what happens with these data visualizations, they can be really misleading. There was uh, the famous case is from the Challenger space shuttle, right? So yeah. we remember the the Challenger mm -hmm. shuttle. Um, and one of the reasons that that launch was unsuccessful and one of the reasons uh, that when – I can't remember how long it is into launch. But they, the engineers had a, a good idea ahead of time that this launch was a bad idea and would ultimately you know, end up as a failure. And what they were tasked with doing was providing data to support their conclusion and visualizing it so the people that ultimately make the call, do we launch the shuttle, do we not launch the shuttle, um, could make the call and be informed. When you look at the data visualizations, and this is one of the things that we started the project with, it's really, really misleading. Right. Right. You look at you look at the table and you look at the temperatures that they were launching at. And one of the things that was responsible, the primary cause uh, for the launch failure was the temperature that they launched at was substantially lower than anything that would have been you know, conceived of as you know, appropriate. Uh, some of the missions were like um, they had little pictures, little images of all of the different rockets. And they had them lined up by like mission one, mission two, mission three, mission four, mission yep. five. And they showed when like different – they had the temperature just listed underneath, but they were listed in sort of chronological order of launch. Yep. Mm. And they showed where the launch uh, – where sort of the O-ring failures had happened. And it looked completely random. And oh, then wow. the really compelling image that they came up with afterwards, yep. instead of going in chronological order, they just did them by temperature yep. order. And there was this huge lump, if you've seen like a normal distribution, looks right. like sort of a normal sort of curve. But then you start to notice all the little dots yeah. on where the O-rings are failing are on the low end of the temperature. And there's this great big mass, and it is almost the same kind of gap between the low and the high end of everything that they had done, go that much below all of those other cold ones. And that was the only launch that was tens of degrees. Uh, it was, it was 20, like it was like 20 or 30 degrees below wow. the, the last and successful it, launch. It, it sounds so much like I mean, just, in English class, I talk about what is your organizational principle? Yep, like right. how are you going to, what is, what is going to be the gravitational pull of whatever you're writing? Um, because that really matters right. because that's really ends up being the story. And how do you, like what is that most compelling point most that about, is, critical right. to understand and how do you get somebody yeah. else to understand it when they don't have the time yeah. to live in the data that you do yeah 100%. so you know all this stuff is fascinating a couple of questions though like one of them is it, you're talking about quantitative reasoning as being sure. for people who have you know accelerated is this approach really best for kids who have, are really good at math or i could see chris's face he's just <laughs> like you have no idea how no. often we get like no. this. Yeah, so, so great. um the the origin of the idea for the course and the approach certainly came out of students who were accelerated and just needed some more time to just let their brains mature mathematically. Um, what has happened, and especially this year, and so I don't know, Zach, if you've like sort of looked into the oh, rosters. Yeah. Um, we were last year, um, our one year long course had two seniors in it out of 19 students. And then Zach taught a one semester version. This year, we've got two full versions of it, the same number of freshmen, but we've like tripled the number of people who are opting into the course as a mathematical elective yep. and are choosing to interrupt their calculus sequence in the middle of high school just to get better at this. Absolutely. So it is actually for anybody who wants to take the class. 
you can and, take and QR. Do you, do, have, you, have you seen examples of students who previously struggled with math, where math didn't make sense, where it was not a language that told a beautiful story, but just a confounding right. yeah. set of symbols, and you're trying to get the B minus, the C plus, right. right? Does it work for that kid? Well, I mean, the, the beauty at the beginning of this year is like um, uh, we start off um, kind of funny with this. You walk into class, and one of the first things we tell you is you don't know how to count. Um, I know you think you, I, I know you think you're really good at this, but we basically create a unit at the beginning that is all on number bases. And we're sort of used to our base 10 representation and like the mm -hmm. brilliance of being able mm -hmm. to write several digits side by side. And we create sort of a whole meaning out of it, but the base doesn't have to be 10. The base could be anything. And just last week we were sort of wrapping up that piece of the unit and the students were really good at converting into and out of base 10 numbers. And we just said, well, like, let's do the mathematical thing. If you can go to base seven or base five or base 12 or base anything else, why not just go to base X? And when you look at a polynomial for algebra, boom, yeah, there it, is. it is nothing more than every single number system ever. And we turned the entirety of the student's last two to five years of algebraic studies, depending on like what year in school they are, <laughs> yep. into one simple explanation on like all of algebra is nothing more than just the generalized version of adding, subtracting, and it's multiplying, all and dividing that you did in elementary school. Yep. And it's this wonderful moment when you're sitting there and you... The jaws oh, just God, drop. Yeah. I love that moment. It's my favorite <laughs> moment. Um, but you you have someone who, for a lot of people, and including myself when I was in school, like the transition from you know arithmetic to algebra was now we're using letters. That's what it was. All of a sudden there were letters. And we I kind of recognized in my head that, you know, hey, this is just like letters are standing for numbers. I kind of got that. But when you access it in such an organic way, from playing what is effectively a simple game right. with the kids at the beginning of the year, and the transition is so natural that they arrive at it themselves, it does something entirely different. Instead of sitting there and, and forcing the idea that, hey, we have letters and sometimes we use letters in math and let me just cram this down your throat until you're comfortable with it. Or really uncomfortable and you or, can go to Skidmore where you don't right. have to take math. Yeah. Well, no, that's what happens. I know a guy. We, <laughs> we scare people away. It happens, right? Like there mm -hmm. are so many, so many people just scared away from math. Um, if you are giving students the opportunity to sort of naturally make these discoveries themselves, oftentimes very similar to how people who originally discovered these ideas made the discovery, right? right? Surprise, it works so much better, yeah. right? It's just, it's really astounding to see those moments. Yeah. So, the, oh, sorry. No, go. Oh, so the next question, obviously, for me is, this is wonderful if it can reach all these different kinds of kids, and yet we're in a system. So, yeah. you know, and the output, no matter what the class take, they're going to have to take, you've mentioned standardized tests several times. Do you feel like this is, you know, the kind of thing that will show up as a skill in a standardized test? Or is this sort of, you know, so I say this respectfully, kind of playtime <laughs> with math where, you know, we're messing around, we're doing games, but ultimately, sure. are they going to, you know, are they going to be able to do the SAT? Are they going to be able to take the math too? Like, w what's going to happen? This, this reminds me of the example I'm going to give you is we were playing with a similar idea here. Uh, we, they're called citrum and dice. Okay. So essentially, and this is playtime with math, but I'm, I'm going to get to it. I promise. <laughs> all right. 
So you start with these dice. And the idea is if I took a normal six-sided dice, you know, it's got the one dot, the two dots, the three dots, the four dots, five dots, and six dots. If I took a normal die like that and I were to take another one, then now I'm getting closer to playing Yahtzee. Okay, so I've got two in my hand and I want to roll them. There are a certain set of sums that I could get, right? I could get a one and a one, that would give me a two. I can get a two and a one, that would give me a three, so on and so forth. If I were to take those dice and modify them slightly, is there a way that I could modify them so that they have all different numbers on all the different sides, but I still get the same distribution of sums? In other words, could I still have two very different dice, but get the same kind of results every time I threw them? And this was one of the questions that we gave the kids. Could we design these dice? And they spent a, a good amount of time playing with all, not just six-sided dice, but eight-sided dice and 12-sided dice and 10-sided dice and just trying to see if this was possible. What's super interesting is when you sit down and try and model this and just brute force it, it's very difficult. But once you make the realization that you can actually model the probability uh, that certain sums appear during this exercise using polynomials, then it becomes so much easier. You can actually make these dice very quickly just by factoring various polynomials. And sometimes the polynomials get pretty big. And now I'm going to segue shamelessly into the next thing, which is factoring polynomials pops up on standardized tests <laughs> all the freaking time, yeah. right? And we treat it as like this sort of thing in most algebra courses where, okay, we're going to learn how to factor polynomials. Why are we going to learn how to factor polynomials? Well, because you're going to take a test in a few months wherein you have to factor polynomials. So here's a page with 30 blanks on it with lots of factoring. Good luck. I'll see you in 40 yes. minutes. Yes. Right. I was exactly. really good at that, by the way. Right. Oh, had no idea what it was about. Right. Yep. Right. But, and I think that's true for a lot of kids at Hawkins. Well, yeah. Rule followers. Right. Yeah. yeah. But would you recognize in a moment that like you're dealing with something even just as simple as rolling dice and like getting that in the background was this polynomial that was driving the whole piece. And it's sort of like this interpretation piece. Mathematics is a language. You take a real world situation, you interpret it into mathematics yeah. and it becomes this polynomial. And suddenly all of the rules that deal with multiplying and, and factoring polynomials, that's like no normal person would look at a pair of dice and see that, but suddenly all of this becomes important and then you reinterpret it back into the world and you realize you've got these two funky Sisherman dice yep. that you can play Monopoly with and nobody would ever know other than like, you don't get doubles as often, so you don't go to jail so often. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but I mean, like everything else is exactly the same because you've been able to do this interplay yeah. with mathematics that happens to be on standardized tests. But I would argue not only have you developed the skills and kids are using it because they're having fun, they're yeah. actually engaged in it. And they've also learned the ability to recognize mathematics when it's lurking in the background, even though the problem doesn't present itself that mm -hmm. way. Well, you know, because one of the things that occurs to me as you're talking is that, you know, that engagement is, is really important. But a deeper understanding of how mathematics works is actually what these tests are, because I've done a little research on this. And it turns out these are not content tests. No. no. They're skill tests. No. Yes. Right? And that's about understanding how something works and being able to apply it into different novel situations. So there's some evidence suggests that you're right. But it will be interesting to see, you know, as this course progresses, whether you see these students who, you know, either the ones who are accelerated or the ones who struggle really be able to now understand what's being put in front of them. Yeah, right. I, I have to, like, one of the things that I loved at the end of the last, of last year was when I taught the semester version of the course, we had, I had sophomores, juniors, and seniors, okay? 
And you, uh, for some, uh, I, I think if I, like, if you're in a, in a traditional school and you're not normally put in these situations, you'd be like, oh my God, what a nightmare. How am I going to do this? Oh. Um, but like, it was brilliant. actually like <laughs> when Chris and I talked about this, we're like, let's mm-hmm. do this on purpose. Like, can we get sophomores, juniors, and seniors in here? Because they all are different levels of accelerated. They all have different backgrounds. They all have different experience with math. And in our second year, it's freshmen. Yes. We have all four years yeah. in one class. And the idea yeah. was the motivation was was uh, was could we find sets of or interesting access points to mathematics, interesting mm-hmm. problems that could be tackled with a variety of different types of background knowledge. And when you do this, you're able to not only find an access point that works for you as an individual to find a way to love math, you know, as a, an individual person, but also learn to appreciate and notice some of the awesome things that your friends and peers are working on using their background knowledge and their experiences. So I think it's really, it's really powerful. No matter what level of accelerated you are, no matter what background knowledge you have, no matter what your current passion is for mathematics, zero or a hundred, whatever it is, being able to be in this environment and, and see all of these different things going on in a variety of different ways is super, super engaging, especially right. for me as a teacher. I just love it. Well, and well, I think like the conversations in the, in the classroom um, started with some of our greatest days where like the students would um, have three or four really unique and different kinds of yeah. ways of explaining something. And that mental flexibility that like a, a mathematician is not somebody who has seen every problem and has a rapid solution for it, yep. but is someone who can look at a novel situation. And ideally that's what like these tests are like trying to pretend to be is mm-hmm. like presenting novel problems and can you solve them? But in those scenarios, do you have the ability to take this thing and sort of turn it around in lots of different directions? And like sometimes I might have used Julia's technique and another time I might use Terry's technique on doing something because that's what seems to make the most sense to my mind. And it doesn't matter that Zach did a completely different approach to it. We're all ending up at the same place and we actually all understand it better because of the communication. Yeah. You know, it's... Um it's it's so exciting and inspiring to to listen to the two of you talk about how you approach this, and it connects so much to everything that we are doing as we're continuing to design and build the mastery school. Like it's just, I, you know, listening to you has me thinking about um, you know Doris in conversation with the entrepreneurship students last week who are working on a challenge for a startup um, that's oh, going into the 105th Street Incubator. Yeah. yeah, and and part of what she was saying that I think we say to students all the time in the macros, that's exactly what you're saying, Chris, is, you know, the the hard part isn't actually coming up with an answer. You know, this is a close, like they're working on, with this streetwear company, they're starting up in the 105th Street Incubator. How should they go to market? The hard part isn't coming up with an answer. We all could do an hour of research and then just come up with any answer. The hard part is designing the process and thinking through how do you take that creative problem solving approach mm-hmm. and answer and come up with an answer that is really thoughtful. And it's the, what mathematicians do, not what mathematicians, right. mathematicians know too, yeah. you know, yeah. anyway, Absolutely. because the it's reality really cool. is the answer that you come up with is worth maybe five seconds that you bubble it in on an SAT <laughs> or five minutes that you're explaining it to a business owner. The process transfers. That's right. After that first five seconds or five minutes to be generous, that answer has no value for the rest of your life. Yeah. The process you can use anywhere. Yeah. The process can change. Yeah. And the process enables you to learn more and to engage your curiosity. And we've hit it 
in this course in everything from algebra to combinatorics to data and just a shameless little self pitch here the, um, the on that data visualization um, this was the first year that Hawken went really hardcore at this thing and yes. out of this oh, yeah. one yeah. QR class mm-hmm. so um, in this data in a national data visualization um, contest you submit your posters to a regional and then they go on to the national um, in this one single section, this one single math class in the state of Ohio, um, they award a first, second, third place and two honorable mentions. And the quantitative reasoning course took four out of those five and yes, took first awesome. and, and took first and I second know. in the nation. It's worth noting too I mean, that we, we also kind of swept the NASA essay competition as well right. with the QR class. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to drop that in so, there. So by even by traditional metrics of success, right? right? Even if we look at traditional metrics of success, of success, it's still doing so well what we intended it to do. Yeah. When students are hungry and they're given the opportunity to explore and sort of, uh, I, I describe a lot of times, sort of like structured freedom. You have the ability to go where you want to go and to play, but there is deep meaning and drive and the students emerge, maybe not with as much memorized as what a student in the class down the hallway, but understanding in a way that when things inevitably change and all of the problems in the world, they're not in textbooks. Okay. Memorizing your way there isn't going to help you. I would much rather have someone who understands and can figure out what the underlying processes are oh, yeah. and can create a solution where none existed before. Well, I have to say, as we, as we are designing and building this school that's really taking everything that we do and taking it one step further, we are in a very different place around the teaching of math than we would be without the work that you guys have done, Chris, for years and years and years, and Zach in just the short years that you've been here. So really, I mean, thank you so much. Well, we have done a number on math here because we've gone way over. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> That's shocking at, to me. I'm looking at these numbers on the screen <laughs> and realize. But anyway, we want to thank you guys for coming. in. It's been really uh, fantastic. And I know, you know, the kids here at Hawken, you know, benefit so much from this. And then as we develop the mastery school, you got a sense that something really special is going to happen. So right. thank you guys for coming in. All right, well, because that episode ran a little long, we're just going to do a quick little outro here. I want to thank Zach and Chris for coming in, um, and uh, obviously Julia for joining us, and anyone else out out there who's still listening. Um, I want to give a shout-out and a thank you to uh, a colleague named Nick Fletcher, who does all of our editing and sets up the podcast and sets up the room, and uh, he's fantastic. So uh, I want to thank Nick. Um, uh, I know it's a pain, but if you're so moved, uh, we would love a review uh, of the podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. If you like it and you want to encourage your friends to listen to it, uh, please put it on your social media feeds. Um, you can follow uh, Redesigning School on all of our social media channels. Um, and if you want a newsletter every month, you can uh, sign up at redesigningschool.org. I just want to thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. Bye.